Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Madam C.J. Walker wasn't invited to speak at the National Negro Business League convention in 1912. But it wasn't because she didn't try. She'd begged the event organizers and its creator, Booker T. Washington, over and over again to give her a place on the stage. She knew she deserved a place on that stage. And finally, she decided she wasn't going to take no for an answer. So on the final day of the conference, she rose from her seat in the audience and stared Booker T. Washington right in the eye. Surely you are not going to shut the door in my face. I feel that I'm in a business that is a credit to the womanhood of our race. I went into a business that is despised, that is criticized, the business of growing hair. They did not believe that such a thing could be done, but I have proven beyond a question of a doubt that I do grow hair. I have been trying to get before you business people and tell you what I'm doing. Everybody told me that I was making a mistake by going into this business, but I know how to grow hair as well as I know how to grow cotton. Madam C.J. Walker had pulled herself up out of poverty. She'd built a business empire that made her one of the richest self-made women in America at the turn of the century. Married at 14 to escape the treatment of a cruel brother-in-law, mother at 17, and then a millionaire <laughs> by the time she died at 51. And there was that amazing American rags to riches arc of her story. That's Alelia Bundles, Madam C.J. Walker's great-great-granddaughter and biographer. On top of that is a story of a woman who empowered other women. She, in the process created jobs for thousands of African-American women who otherwise would have been sharecroppers and washerwomen and cooks and maids and gave them the opportunity to make their own money independently as businesswomen. From iHeartRadio and Tribeca Studios, this is Fierce. I can't type. Yes, women workers do present problems, Joan. A podcast about the incredible women who never made it in your history books and the modern women carrying on their legacies today. Here's to the ladies, the fair and the weak. I can't file. Women workers don't mind routine, repetitive work. Will you make a copy of this? Naturally. Each week, we're bringing you the story of a groundbreaking woman from the past who made huge contributions to the present, but whose name still isn't on the tips of our tongues for whatever reason. Maybe it's because men wrote most of history. At the end of each episode, I'll be joined by a woman living today who's standing on the shoulders of this historical figure, whether she knows it or not. Madam C.J. Walker was born Sarah Breedlove to freed slaves in 1867, two years after the Civil War ended. 
They lived just across the river from Vicksburg, Mississippi in Delta, Louisiana. The Union Army had destroyed most of the area. Southern whites were exacting violence upon blacks, randomly and frequently. So Sarah Breedlove was born on the same plantation where her parents, Owen and Minerva, had been enslaved and where her older siblings had been enslaved. Her parents died when she was seven years old. She moved to Vicksburg to live with her older sister and began working as a domestic servant. So now Sarah was left in the care of her older sister, Luvinia, and Luvinia's husband named Powell, who was really violent and really mean to her. By the time she was 14 years old, Sarah Breedlove felt her best move, her only move, was marriage. I married at the age of 14 in order to get a home of my own. That's an actress reading Madame Walker's words. The source for these quotes is her biography written by Alelia Bundles. She married a man named Moses McWilliams, perhaps out of love, perhaps in search of stability. Maybe both. Sarah's only option in Vicksburg was to eke out a living as a laundry lady for $1.50 a day. Three years later, she gave birth to her daughter, Lelia. Shortly after that, Sarah was widowed. Married at 14, left a widow at 20 with a little girl to support. I bent over the wash tub and looked at my arms buried in soap suds, and I said to myself, what are you going to do when you grow old and your back gets stiff? Who is going to take care of your little girl? Scraping by and with no better prospects, she headed up the river to St. Louis in search of a better future. If I've accomplished anything in life, it's because I have been willing to work hard. In 1889, St. Louis was a booming metropolis, a crossroads where East met West and North met South. It beckoned with opportunity. Sarah Breedlove's brother's barbershop was a community hub. Their barbershop is very near St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church. The AME Church is well known for embracing the refugees, the new people who are coming into the city for being politically active, for having an international outlook. And those women of the church embrace Sarah Breedlove, the poor young woman moving from rural Louisiana and rural Mississippi to the big city with the daughter and trying to figure out how in the world she's going to survive. Sarah's first job was once again as a laundress, earning a mere dollar a day. Her future and that of her five-year-old daughter were always on her mind. Her brother Alexander died, and her other brother Owen abandoned his wife and moved to New Mexico. In 1894, she married John Davis, a man whose skills and opportunity were not enough for her to step away from the laundry business, and who ultimately turned out not only to be a drunk, but supporting a girlfriend on the side. John Davis turned out to be one of those situations where you realize I can do bad by myself. (laughs) So he just made things worse. And so she needed to get him out of her life. Sarah knew she didn't want to be with another deadbeat. She started getting close to a new man, Charles Joseph Walker, a more open-minded guy who saw her ambition and was there to support it. But Sarah took things slow at first. She'd been burned before, and she had more important things to focus on. In the next decade, Sarah Breedlove would transform herself from washerwoman to the mogul Madam C.J. Walker. But first, a quick break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 
2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Toyota believes in the power of personal choice for reducing carbon emissions. Beyond Zero is their vision to go beyond carbon neutrality, and they're working toward it with a diverse lineup of electrified vehicles. And electrified doesn't just mean plugified either. Toyota offers more low and zero emissions vehicles combined than any other automaker, so you have choices that fit your lifestyle. Whether you want a hybrid EV that starts and handles like a traditional Toyota with better MPG, a battery EV that delivers a smooth, silent, clean ride, or a plug-in hybrid EV that goes between battery and fuel to give you the best of both worlds, Toyota has you covered. And for those of you who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. But it doesn't stop with vehicles. Toyota is decreasing its plastic waste, supporting water conservation efforts, and expanding programs that protect critical species, all to help reduce their environmental footprint and create a positive impact on society, giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions. That's Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified dash vehicles slash beyond dash zero dash vision. Toyota, let's go places. Sarah Breedlove's life had been marked by turmoil and stress. She was in her 30s, coming out of a harrowing and stressful marriage. And she started to suffer from extreme hair loss. I tried everything mentioned to me without any result. I was on the verge of becoming entirely bald. I'm always really conscious of the fact that a 21st century audience has no concept of what it was like to bathe and wash your hair a hundred years ago. But the world was so different. And she was going bald because most Americans didn't have indoor plumbing. For them, a bath was maybe once a week because you had to go outside wherever you were living, pump the water in the well, put the water in a bucket, pour that water into a bigger tub, heat that water with wood that you had chopped or bought, and then you would fill that water into what was called a number 210 tub, which is about four foot around. And that was once a week. And you might not wash your hair at all during the winter because you might feel like you were going to catch a cold. So Sarah Breedlove was one of those women for whom hygiene was a real challenge. And it wasn't that you didn't care about hygiene. It was that there were many steps to make this happen. And so as a result, of washing her hair infrequently, she had really bad scalp infections. And while we can now, you know, wash our hair with a dandruff shampoo, that really wasn't available. So Sarah was struggling trying to figure out what she was going to do. Sarah experimented with different formulas and tonics until she found a solution, something that would not only help her hair, but would change her entire life. I prayed to the Lord. For one night I had a dream. And in that dream, a big black man appeared to me and told me what to mix for my hair. Some of the remedy was from Africa, but I sent for it, mixed it, put it on my scalp, and in a few weeks, my hair was coming in faster than it had ever fallen out. I made up my mind I would begin to sell it. Now, she had a story, sort of like her contemporaries, Helena Rubinstein and Elizabeth Arden. And these were all women who created great myths about their formulas. So now I will say to you that I believe that is part of the truth. I would not question whether Madame Walker had a dream and a big African man appeared to her. Even Einstein said that part of the theory of relativity came to him in a dream. Sarah Breedlove started to immerse herself in the hair care world. While she developed her own products, she also landed a job working as a sales agent for Annie Turnbow Malone, one of the first hair care entrepreneurs to make products for black women in America. In fact, some historians will tell you that Annie Turnbow Malone was the creator of the business model 
that Madam Walker would eventually employ. When Sarah eventually quit her job with Annie to pursue her own business, there would be a rift between the two women that would never be mended. She was a charismatic genius about presenting and marketing her products. But I also know that she had the benefit of the brothers who were barbers, of working for a while as a sales agent for Annie Malone, and of some of the other products that were already on the market. Evoking both a blessing from God and her African roots was the perfect origin story. But Sarah Breedlove took it even further. She knew she had to be inspirational. She had to convince her customers that they deserved to feel and look beautiful. This idea of makeup was a really new thing. And women caring too much about their appearance was something that was considered a no-no. And for African-American women during an era when the Gibson Girl was the standard of beauty. The Gibson Girl, in case you're not familiar with it, was named for these pen and ink drawings by the artist Charles Dana Gibson. The artist described the Gibson Girl as a composite of thousands of different American girls. What went unsaid was that this didn't include American girls of African descent. Black women like Madame Walker were really feeling the pressure to conform to the European standards of beauty. And people were telling them, you're ugly because your hair is kinky and because your skin is dark and your nose is broad and your lips are not thin. And so she was really combating all of those things. The fact that she put her own image on her products said that she was trying to give Black women a message and to give them a sense of themselves as women who were beautiful. Sarah Breedlove McWilliams Davis moved from St. Louis to Denver in July of 1905. She was still selling products for Annie Malone, but she was ready to strike out on her own. She was intent on making enough money on her own to send her daughter to college. She had a sister-in-law in Denver, so it seemed as good a place to go as any. She's in that sort of classic transforming yourself, this very American way of I'm moving to another city, I'm becoming a new person. Denver had a really small Black population, but she just knew she needed to start over. I went to Denver, Colorado and began my business career on a capital of $1.25. I began, of course, in a most modest way. I made house-to-house canvases among people of my race, and after a while, I got going pretty well. Sarah found work as a cook at a boarding house. She made $30 a month as she was trying to get her own business off the ground. She once told a reporter that she spent most of her spare time mixing up tubfuls of her hair restorer potion. I hired a little attic, which is my first laboratory. The area around 19th and Arapahoe Streets in Denver was a bustling hub for African-American businesses. There were several dozen Black-owned shops and meeting halls, eight Black churches, a funeral home, and three doctors, including the city's first Black woman doctor, Dr. Justina Ford. Charles Joseph Walker, or CJ, was sweet on Sarah, and he ended up following her to Denver. He was a jack of many trades, the kind of guy who could make a living anywhere. He was sometimes described as a newsman, finding work selling ads and subscriptions, among other odd jobs in the newspaper trade. But the most important thing about Charles Walker was that Sarah felt he shared her ambition towards personal betterment. And she sees that, and their ambition seems to be on the same level. So at least for a while, this seems to be a really good partnership, like they might be able to make something of their lives. The couple went about making a name for themselves in the city. Sarah and CJ were married in a quiet ceremony in 1906, even though she never technically divorced John Davis. They didn't have a legal marriage license, but Sarah Breedlove took on the name Mrs. Charles Joseph Walker, the name that would eventually be transformed into Madam C.J. Walker. She added that Madam onto the front of her name, Madam C.J. Walker. And it was admittedly a bit of an affectation. 
because Madame was the French name, and that's what, you know, France, Paris was the center of fashion and the center of cosmetics, the center of beauty. And she was inserting that onto her identity. If you look in old newspapers, you would see women who owned boarding houses or women who were seamstresses or who were caterers might call themselves Madam Jones, Madam Smith. And of course, there were women who ran illegal businesses who were called Madams. But it really was a nomenclature for women who owned businesses. And so while Madam continued peddling her tonics, Charles Joseph made a name for himself establishing a real estate loan and rental company and throwing lavish parties to attract new customers. The couple's two businesses were remarkably symbiotic because any well-dressed and well-coiffed woman at the event told the press that their gorgeous hair was the result of Madame's tonics. Madame Walker pounded the pavement. She traveled through Colorado's front range armed with a large supply of Madame Walker's wonderful hair grower, offering the product as well as classes in its application. She attended receptions and parties, and became well-known for offering a pampering experience to her clients. She became so successful that she finally quit working for Annie Turnbow Malone. Her Denver salon soon opened to a great stream of customers, and her daughter Lelia made the journey west to take over its management. Meanwhile, Madam Walker and CJ made preparations to grow a mail-order business. Denver proved to be a small market for Madam Walker, and her attention began to evolve back eastward. She leaves Colorado after about a year because she knows that she can only expand her market so much. So she and Charles Joseph Walker begin to travel throughout Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, where there are Black people. And then they make their way through the southern United States towards the East Coast. By the time Madam Walker hit the road from Denver, her monthly earnings were hitting $300 a fortune by anyone's standards at the time. White male shopkeepers barely made a third of what Madam Walker was pulling in. Madam, with help from CJ, launched what amounted to a large-scale grassroots marketing campaign. From town to town across the South, they'd contact Baptist and African-American Methodist churches, secure local lodging, make connections with local fraternal organizations, and put together demonstrations. They'd hold a class or two to recruit salespeople and then let the orders stream in. Rinse and repeat. As business surged, Walker built a distribution center in Pittsburgh. It was a strategic location because goods could be efficiently shipped to most of the country. In Pittsburgh, Walker established another salon. She looked for endorsements from the city's black leadership. Pretty soon, she managed to get leaders from the church and other community groups to sign a petition on her behalf. We, the undersigned, highly recommend Madam C.J. Walker's work and worth. As a hair grower, she has no equal. We found her to be a strictly honest, thoroughgoing businesswoman. Until her advent into this city, we did not believe in such a thing as a hair grower. Her efforts prevailed, with 1908's receipts nearly twice those of 1907, and then up 25% again in 1909 to over $8,700, or 150 grand by today's standards. She began to present herself more formally, appearing in photographs in a manner that, quote, reflected her increased income and newly acquired status. She used a, what's really a still very effective way of advertising with a before and after picture. So the before picture was Madam Walker with very short hair. And on either side, with kind of a triptych, was a front view and a side view of Madam Walker with really long, bushy, healthy, full Hair. By this time, her company was getting huge. Madam Walker had thousands of customers and employed around 950 agents who were selling her product for her. I have made it possible for many colored women to abandon the wash tub for more pleasant and profitable occupation. As she goes from city to city, she begins to understand what are the needs of these women. They need hair care, but they also need education and they need economic independence. One woman wrote to her, before I started using Madam Walker's wonderful hair grower, my hair was an eighth of an inch long. And now my hair is down my back and I have been able to throw my wig away. But there were just as many women writing to her saying, thank you for helping me make a living for my family. 
Another woman said, you have made it possible for a black woman to make more money in a day selling your products as a sales agent than she could in a month working in somebody's kitchen. By 1910, Madam Walker was looking to build a more permanent headquarters and factory in Indianapolis. There was a real Black business leadership in that town with three Black newspapers and some political agency. And that was where she saw an opportunity and began to really make money. She became friends with George Knox, who was the publisher of the Indianapolis Freeman. He had been formerly enslaved person who owned for a while the barbershop at the Bates Hotel right next to the Indiana State Legislature. So he had become very involved in politics. He was very much a leader of that first generation out of slavery. She made an alliance with him. And soon after she arrived, there was a big fundraising campaign for a black YMCA. That participation in the fundraising campaign when she gave $1,000 raised her national profile. Now people were reading about her, not just because of her hair care products, but the stunning $1,000 gift from a Black woman. She was somebody who people wanted to emulate. She bought a house in town and found a way to make it make money for her by taking in borders. It was also a way to help out Black travelers, since many hotels still wouldn't rent rooms to African-Americans passing through town. Madam Walker was never not hustling. She diversified. I'm preparing myself so when this hair business falls to the ground, I will have an income and I won't have to come down. She bought investment real estate in Indianapolis, Los Angeles, Gary, Indiana, and New York City. And as always, she sought endorsements from local and national leaders who could bolster her reputation. But there was one endorsement Madam Walker both wanted and needed, and it was the most difficult one to get. Booker T. Washington, the country's most storied and celebrated advocate for Black entrepreneurs. Madam Walker wrote to him over and over again. He was always polite in his response, but reserved and wary of setting a meeting with her. She kept visiting his conferences and even tried charming the women in his family with complimentary hair treatments. But it was impossible to infiltrate his inner circle. She sent him a letter asking him to invest in her business, and he replied that he really wasn't interested. And then she sent a letter asking to attend one of his conferences on Tuskegee's campus. And he basically told her, don't come. But she showed up anyway with a letter of endorsement from the head of the YMCA in Indianapolis. And his chief of staff told her she really wasn't welcome, but he made an accommodation and let her speak at church, at chapel, and not at the actual convention. By 1912, Madam Walker had had enough. That's when she took to the stage at the National Negro Business League convention in Chicago. You heard that speech in the beginning of the episode. I built my own factory on my own ground, 38 by 208 feet. I own my own automobile and runabout. My object in life is not simply making money for myself or to spend it on myself and dressing or running around in an automobile. I love to use a part of what I make in trying to help others. She was so forceful and so rousing. All of a sudden, I think she's viral is kind of where we would see what she had done. As Madam Walker's star continued to rise, her five-year marriage to CJ deteriorated. Madam wanted more. But CJ, he was content, maybe even complacent. When we began to make $10 a day, he thought that amount was enough and I should be satisfied. When we found it impossible to agree due to his narrowness of vision, I embarked in business for myself. When they started out, it was as if he understood that this was a woman with ambition and he was ready for that. But he was only ready for it up to a certain point. And she started moving beyond him. There's this one story. It might be fiction or partly fiction. She seems to have come upon him in a hotel room with another woman. And... As the story goes, women carried pistols because you were a woman traveling alone, that she was outside that 
hotel room and she knew he was inside with somebody else and she had her hand on the pistol and her life must have flashed before her. And she realized, what do I care about this guy? I need to get on with what I'm doing. It is really hard to be as driven as she was and that sometimes success in business means that you are neglecting the people who mean the most to you and who you love the most. After that, Madam Walker left the breakup of her marriage to her lawyers, and she took off for a trip up and down the West Coast to expand her business there. She wrote to her lawyers about that trip. I am sure this trip is going to add at least two or 3000 per month to my income. I'm succeeding in making agents everywhere I go. Madam Walker felt she would quickly outgrow Indianapolis, and she already had property in New York, a spectacular Harlem townhouse with a well-equipped beauty parlor right on the ground floor. He was again time to move, this time up to the Big Apple. The Indianapolis Freeman mourned the city's loss on the front page of the newspaper. The citizens of Indianapolis, without regard to race, are one in their expressions of regret at the loss of Madam C.J. Walker as a resident of the city of Indianapolis. Harlem is kind of a mecca, kind of a fantasy land for African-Americans. There's no other city in America where Black people have access to such a neighborhood with these beautiful brownstones, beautiful apartment buildings, So first, the house on 136th Street is a fabulous house. And then within a couple of years, she realizes that they really need to expand. So she buys the house next door and they redesign it into this double townhouse that looks like, you know, with a beautiful brick and glass, French doors and limestone facade that looks more like a house on the east side of New York with the beauty salon on the first floor and their living quarters upstairs, and the beauty school in the basement. By 1918, Madam Walker reported annual earnings of more than $274,000. That's the equivalent of $3 million today. She was on track to make even more the following year. She began taking regular trips north to check on the progress of a $250,000 34-room villa that she was having built in one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in America. I want plenty of room in which to entertain my friends. I've worked so hard all my life, I would like to rest. According to the New York Times, there was a collective gasp of astonishment from the community when they learned that she did indeed intend to live there. Impossible, they exclaimed. Quote, no woman of her race could afford such a place. Well, that fall, the Times published another story about Madam C.J. Walker's house. That's when the newspaper provided Madam Walker's assets at a cool million, or nearly that. 1919 proved difficult for Madam Walker's health. Her kidneys began to fail her, and her doctors insisted she begin to slow down. Knowing her mother wouldn't stop, her daughter Lelia begged her doctors to keep asking her to rest. On Good Friday, Madam Walker finally confided to a friend that she knew she didn't have much longer. My desire now is to do more than ever for my race. I would love to live for them. On Sunday, May 25th, 1919, Madam Walker passed away in her bed. Her death made headlines around the world. Over time, I have really come to think of Madam Walker's story as a story of empowerment for other women. It was women's economic independence. It was women having confidence in themselves. And then being able, in many ways, to create generational wealth. I still meet people who show me diplomas of their great-aunt, great-grandmother, grandmother, who graduated from the Walker Beauty School and who did hair at home, who was able to work at home, who could pay tuition, could buy real estate, could go into another business. The Walker Beauty Schools were these academies created by Madam Walker and her daughter to teach beauty culture and to train sales agents. But they had another function. Madam Walker helped inspire women in the academies to do community service and to take on leadership roles. 
1917, she had her first convention of her sales agents. She said to the women, I want you to understand that your first duty is to humanity. At the end of the convention, the women sent a telegram to President Woodrow Wilson urging him to support legislation to make lynching a federal crime. And this idea of women being politically engaged carried through almost to the present time so that Black women beauticians during the Civil Rights Movement were able to have meetings in their salons because they owned them, and that those women in the National Beauty Culturist League helped finance the buses that brought people to the March on Washington in 1963. I had to make my own living and my own opportunity, but I made it. Don't sit down and wait for opportunities to come. Get up and make them. Time for a quick break. When we come back, I'll be speaking to entrepreneur Melissa Butler. Ms. Butler was directly inspired by Madam C.J. Walker's story when she launched her own beauty business. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Toyota believes in the power of personal choice for reducing carbon emissions. Beyond Zero is their vision to go beyond carbon neutrality, and they're working toward it with a diverse lineup of electrified vehicles. And electrified doesn't just mean plugified either. Toyota offers more low- and zero-emissions vehicles combined than any other automaker, so you have choices that fit your lifestyle. Whether you want a hybrid EV that starts and handles like a traditional Toyota with better MPG, a battery EV that delivers a smooth, silent, clean ride, or a plug-in hybrid EV that goes between battery and fuel to give you the best of both worlds, Toyota has you covered. And for those of you who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. But it doesn't stop with vehicles. Toyota is decreasing its plastic waste, supporting water conservation efforts, and expanding programs that protect critical species, all to help reduce their environmental footprint and create a positive impact on society, giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions. That's Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified vehicles slash beyond dash zero dash vision. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Madam C.J. Walker may have been one of the first Black women millionaires in this country. But her true brilliance had nothing to do with money. C.J. Walker's legacy of entrepreneurship and mentorship has empowered generations of Black women to follow her lead. Melissa Butler started teaching herself how to make lipstick in her Brooklyn kitchen in 2012. After a lucrative career on Wall Street failed to inspire her passions, Melissa set out on her own. She'd noticed a lack of affordable options for lipstick that suited women of all skin tones. That's when she decided to launch the lip bar. Eight years later, Melissa moved the business to her hometown of Detroit. That's where the lip bar has grown to feature a whole line of vegan and cruelty-free makeup that's available in stores around the country. I spoke to Melissa about the ways Madam C.J. Walker has inspired her as a businesswoman and as a role model. Welcome to Fierce. Thank you for having me. What did you know about C.J. Walker when you were growing up? I have always been a history buff, especially a Black history buff, because I've always known since I was a kid that a lot of our Black history wasn't taught to us in school, in some instances very intentionally. And so I really latched on to those Black stories where I felt like I could see myself. So I was a big fan of Malcolm X and Madam C.J. Walker. 
hearing stories of her being the first woman, self-made millionaire, it was like, who wouldn't be inspired by that? You know how people celebrate Martin Luther King? Like, I absolutely celebrated Madam C.J. Walker. What did you actually want to be when you were a child? I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I don't think that I knew that I could be an entrepreneur until I was in high school and I was working at my cousin's clothing store. My cousin would allow me to like count the register and he taught me all about margins. And so when I went to college, I just went for business, business in general. And then I adopted business finance because at that point, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to make money. And I was like, huh, people on Wall Street make a lot of money, they say. And that's basically where I started my career. How long were you on Wall Street? And when did you realize that maybe Wall Street wasn't for you? I worked on Wall Street for four years. After the first year, I knew that it wasn't for me. And you decided to start your own company in 2012. You know, I was not a cosmetic chemist. I did not come from money. I grew up on the east side of Detroit, and I started this company because I really wanted to create non-toxic, vegan and cruelty-free products that will look good on every single skin tone, and that's what I set out to do. Tell me a little bit about the early days of Lip Bar, how you bootstrapped it, how you got it off the ground. I saved all of my money. It was sacrifice, but also it was determination. It was sheer determination. I remember, you know, getting home from work at like 7 or 8 o'clock and then staying up until 3 and working. I don't remember being tired in this period, although I probably didn't really get a good sleep for a solid seven months. I didn't know how to make lipstick, but I learned. Because with every single batch, I got a little bit better. And I think that that is a lesson for entrepreneurs in general, no matter what skill you are, no matter if you're aspiring or have an idea or whether you're scaling a multi-million dollar business, you always have to be in this place of trying to get a little bit better than you were the day before. So you decided to go on Shark Tank to try to grow the business. What happened there? We were already in business for a couple of years when we went on Shark Tank. We were on Forever21.com. We were doing trunk shows. So we we had a viable business with a lot of upside at that point. And so we went on Shark Tank. They didn't give us a deal. They thought that the, the colors were too bold. They said a couple of cruel things, but... It literally didn't matter to us. Like, we were in business before Shark Tank. I knew that we would be in business after Shark Tank. So it was just something that happens. And again, as an entrepreneur, you need to know that you're going to experience rejection and failure, and you're going to be told no so many times. But if you're grounded in your purpose, then it doesn't matter. You just find different doors to go through, and you build new doors, and you build new tables. What barriers do you feel that you faced as a woman and or as a woman of color? There are tons of barriers as a woman, as a black woman. And I remember when we were first launching in Target stores, we needed money because at that point we had just been bootstrapping the company, which means that essentially every dollar that we made, we put back into the company. We weren't even paying ourselves salary, me and Roscoe, who's my partner and creative director. But we now needed money because we have this huge opportunity with Target to go on stores. We need inventory for all those stores that we're going into. And I started pitching to investors because, you know, you need money. You need money for marketing. You need money for the inventory. And people would say, oh, you're such an impressive entrepreneur, but, you know, this isn't going to work. And when you look at especially like white men who are able to get funded off of an idea, not necessarily traction, like I have a purchase order from a national retailer and could not get funding to further fuel this business. And that was crazy to me. And so when I would tell the story, people would say like, what? Wait, you have a purchase order with Target and you couldn't get money? And so eventually we did get money to to fund it, but I probably pitched 100 angel investors slash venture capitalists and funds to get that money. So funding is a challenge. They say that Black women are starting businesses at the fastest rate in the country, but are only getting 1% of the venture capital money. So there is 
a huge gap in our ability to monetize a lot of the things that we are creating culturally. And then even the fact that I'm selling makeup and makeup can work for every single complexion, but especially I make sure that it will work for women of color because we need those deeper pigments that a lot of the beauty industry had never really thought about. So the products that we produce work on everyone from Anne Hathaway to Lupita, for instance. But if you see branding of the lip bar where it's a black woman and a white woman, somebody might still come up and say, oh, is this only for black women? And so that's a challenge because as a black woman, even customers or everyday people will say like, oh, I shouldn't buy that because there's a black woman on the advertising. Um, Whereas black people will oftentimes buy a product no matter who is on that ad. So there've been tons of challenges, but I will say that this is the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. One of the things that we love about CJ Walker's story is how she used her business to uplift other women. And I feel like you've also been trying to pay it forward with everything you're doing with Lip Bar. Talk to me a little bit about that. Madam CJ Walker, she is the blueprint. She built an empire and then she used that empire to employ other women, to give back, to educate So obviously we're doing that on a much smaller scale, but again, we're really proud that all of our teams, all women, we're really proud that we are able to teach people, especially in the metro Detroit area, a new skill set that hasn't typically existed. So finding talent is difficult in a city like Detroit because it is a blue collar city. And so I knew that coming home, I knew that it would be a challenge. I knew that I would have to build a team from the ground up. And that's essentially what I've done. So I have taught people new skill sets. I have given people the ability to go into a new industry that wouldn't necessarily be available to them. I mentor a ton of small business owners. Like people ask me questions on Instagram all day long. And if I have a few moments, I'll tell them things that I found to be really beneficial for me because when I started, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And this is something that is very particular and specific to women. We don't oftentimes get the chance to make a mistake. It's like you need to get it right on the first time. And so I am always happy to take the opportunity to help a small business owner who was where I was seven years ago when I started the company. Where is the company now? What does your success look like right in this moment? The Lip Bar is growing a ton. We did a massive expansion in October 2019. So we are now not only Lip, so we're really proud about that. We're solving this problem of non-toxic makeup. We're solving the problem of inclusivity and diversity within the beauty landscape. And we're really just looking to continue to solve our customers' problems. And so we're doing that through our assortment, through our imagery, and honestly, by telling the stories of our customers, which is very similar to Madam C.J. Walker. And so we're proud to walk in her footsteps and have her as that blueprint. We're primed for success. So I think Madam C.J. Walker would be proud of us. I think she would be. What is your advice for the next generation of young women who want to be entrepreneurs, who want to stand on your shoulders? Number one, you have to get rid of the fear. You have to get rid of the fear of failure. You have to get rid of the fear of everybody's doing it. No one can do it quite like you, so get rid of that fear. And more importantly, you can't do any of those things that I've just listed without believing in yourself. So The model of the lip bar is, you know, on our door in our Detroit store, it says the lip bar where you are enough. So you have to know that you are enough, that you can and should be the person to actively pursue your dreams because no one's going to do it but you. So have confidence in yourself and be open to what the universe has to offer you. We are very grateful to our guests, biographer and great-great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker, Alelia Bundles, and entrepreneur and CEO of The Lip Bar, Melissa Butler. Madam C.J. Walker is voiced by Iris Little Thomas. Additional voices in this episode done by Patrice Drew and Taj Sanga. Fierce is hosted and written by Joe Piazza, produced and directed by me, Anna Stump. 
Our executive producers are Joe Piazza, Nikki Etor, Anna Stumpf, and from Tribeca Studios, Leah Sarbib. This episode was edited by Jacopo Penzo and soundscaped by Jacopo Penzo and Anna Stumpf. Our associate producer is Emily Marinoff. Fact-checking by Austin Thompson. Research by Nick Astor. The Fierce theme is by Hamilton Lighthouser and Anna Stumpf. Additional music for this episode by Blue Dot Sessions. Our very sincere thanks to Mangesh Hatikador for making this series possible. And to Nikki Etor, our co-executive producer. Thank you so very much for everything you've done for this show. Sources for this episode. On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker by Alelia Perry Bundles. Now a Netflix series starring Octavia Spencer, the book has been retitled Self-Made. A New York Times article on Madam C.J. Walker published in November of 1917. An Associated Press article on Madam C.J. Walker published in the spring of 1919. Thanks so much for listening. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. No one likes to talk about money. Am I saving enough? Can I buy a house? Am I paying too much in taxes? Will I be able to retire? What if you could unlock insights about your finances in less than five minutes with a clear picture of where you stand today and where your money can work harder? Now you can. Visit facet.com to take the free quiz and get your financial wellness score today. That's F-A-C-E-T.com. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet. Your eyes open and your mind out there, way out there, turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu.